Hi, everybody. Am I here? You're here. You're I'm on. Here. We're live. You're there. Obviously, Kim is up in Canada, and she always starts every podcast. This is the first one I've ever done by myself, so I'm going to be fine. And you know how she starts every podcast with the word for the day? The word for the day is obviously flexibility. I was downstairs on the phone with the credit card processing people trying to get something sorted out. So thanks for being flexible. And rather than have a guest speaker, I figured I'd just answer questions for an hour and talk about stuff with you. So you're the guest. Whoever's listening, there's 30 of you. So we should be able to come up with something between the all of us. What do you think? Let's start with Michelle. And I have a bunch of questions from the Michelle, hoping this is not a repeat question. How should we menstrual pain? There's a protocol in the custom care called dysmenorrhea. And the purpose is to slow down bleeding and treat the uterus for inflammation and spasm. And that seems to work to reduce the flow and reduce the pain. It's not going to be 100% effective. You can treat the tissues of the uterus and the endometrium. So the uterus is 34 and the endometrium is 155. And so there's that. And then the other thing to consider when you're treating menstrual pain as a stable state approach is... B6. So look at estrogen metabolism and estrogen metabolism and how your liver converts the estrogen that comes to it into, there's about 16 different forms of estrogen. Some of them are inflammatory and some of them aren't. And the inflammatory estrogens are the ones that seem to be the troublemakers, both for breast and the uterus. So how do you get your liver to turn estrogen into the non-inflammatory kind? By and large, that's B6 and magnesium. That's the pathway that takes it down the anti-inflammatory pathway. The other thing you can add to that is evening primrose oil, gallinolenic acid, borage oil, and I'd try that. So we have the effect of the frequencies, and you have to consider the whole stable state conversation. What do you add to the frequencies to create a stable state that will support what you're doing with the frequencies? Okay. Denise, I have a client who has a tendon question mark that pops over often when she squats or goes upstairs i'm assuming okay it's a hamstring pops to the lateral knee oh 13 nope wouldn't do that nope wouldn't do that 81 and 10 if it pops i tried 124 and 77 one of the hamstrings is flat. One of the hamstrings is round. 
So you do 124, torn and broken, and 77, the flat one. 191 is the round one. And the other thing with the knee, it only hurts when he squats or he goes upstairs. So that has to do with the quadriceps, and that has to do with the hip and the pelvis. So look at the pelvis, look at the hip. The knee's hardly ever the problem. The knee gets caught between the hip and the ankle when you walk. And that's what I look at. All right. I always check that it's been asked before. I don't care if it's been asked before. What is the data about learning? You have to hear something seven times before it sticks. Have a patient with bilateral wrist and hand pain. Okay. Carpal tunnel and neck have been negative. That's not possible. Concussion is not going to affect the wrist. 396 down the arm and hand. Cervical traction. Nope. Nope. It's not thalamic or suit. When did it start? Bruce, we're missing some history here. It didn't come from space. What, how, what did they do? So is it 124 and 191? Bilateral hip, hand and wrist pain. Hand and wrist, what's the sensory exam like? What are the patellar reflexes like? So there's it's the exam part of it. Did they sprain the wrist? Did they break something? What do they do for a living? Do they make pizza dough? Or do they sew? What are the pian- pianists? What's causing it? That's the problem with FSM. It's not a problem. It's a gift. It makes you use your brain. It's not going to be central because there's no part of the homunculus and the thalamus of the CNS that includes just both hands. It'll be both hands and both feet. So, Bruce, go back and do a physical exam. Do a history. When did it start? What makes it better? What makes it worse? So when did it start? What makes it better? What makes it worse? What is a physical exam? Patellar reflexes, sensation, range of motion even. What motion makes it worse? Is it all the time? Is it only when they grab things? So is it torn and broken in the tendons? So that's where to go with that one. Oh, started two years ago. Yay, Bruce. I knew you'd do it. Reflex is normal. I'm assuming sensation's normal. No injury. Interesting. What do they do for a living? How old is the patient? You have the advantage of already knowing all this stuff. But these are the questions that I look at when you look at a patient. I have trouble doing, I don't do telemedicine because you can't tell. You can't tell when, you can't tell enough looking at somebody on video. I'd go with mechanical, female, 35 years old. She's some sort of technician. I would try, number one, I'd check her for Ehlers-Danlos. So check for hypermobility and maybe try just torn and broken in the round tendons. And if you look at 
trigger points in the forearm flexors, they will refer pain into the hand and wrist. So that's a possibility. And treat the forearm muscles, maybe. That's a thought. Erectile dysfunction, we talk about that in the advanced, Michelle. Symptoms get better with any antibiotics that are prescribed for anything. That's interesting. Erectile dysfunction is usually vascular inflammation. So difficulty for the arteries and the veins to produce nitric oxide. And antibiotics. So does he have root canals? That This is a new one for me. So flexibility is a good watchword to start this with. Rectal dysfunction, antibiotics. That's interesting. So there are questions you ask a patient about erectile dysfunction. What tooth problems? Then he needs a 3D cone beam. And root canals and infected teeth get pulled. We don't do root canals. And infection creates inflammation. Inflammation gets in the way of producing nitric oxide immune system upregulation. The questions about erectile dysfunction involve things like, do you have erections during your sleep? So there's an old technique where they put a piece of scotch tape or something on a flaccid penis when the guy went to sleep. And if he woke up in the morning and the tape had come loose, that suggested that he had an erection in his sleep. And that's different than an erection with sexual activity imminent. Erection is parasympathetic. Ejaculation is sympathetic. So it's a complicated neurologic situation. If antibiotics make it better, then it's inflammation in the blood vessels, preventing nitric oxide from being produced so that he obviously for him is get the get a 3D comb beam and get the tooth pulled and fix the jaw. So there we go. That would be my guess. Denise, you're welcome. Linda, dystrophic um, no. Nope. I can't even pronounce it. Dystrophic epidermolysis bullosa, butterfly children with FSM for skin and fascia? Nope, I haven't seen it. So the question is always, it affects the skin. Check on Google and see what it's associated with. And then go back and treat the cause of that. Debbie, okay. How can we treat a bone spirit caused by degeneration? Oh, it's a collagen gene defect. Try 124 and 77. I've never treated it, but we're back to Linda. I've never treated it, but if it's collagen gene defect, I'd try that. Okay, bone spur. Bone spurs are caused by constant tone, constant tension on a tendon. This is what I learned at New Heights. It's take a band and get the multifidi and the rotatories moving. Joints that don't move, tendons that don't move, cause bone spurs because of Wolf's Law. 
just pulling on the bone creates a bone spur. If you get the muscle to move at that segment, and the problem is the segment is stiff, the stuff above and below it are going to move, but getting that particular segment to move means this is an exercise. So you do basically isometrics. So here I am holding my head still and turning with about five degrees of motion and getting those little teeny muscles to contract and start to dissolve the bone spur. You can use FSM with 91 maybe and 217 on channel A with the periosteum and the connective tissue. Oh, interesting. Debbie uses 49 and 100. Never done that. I've always treated Ehlers-Danlos with 124 and 77. Before and after photos, all ligaments in the entire body will be tightened. I don't know about ligaments. I use connective tissue for Ehlers-Danlos, 124 and 77, neck to feet. So I don't know. I've never used 49 and 100. I'm glad it works. But in Ehlers-Danlos, it's not just the ligaments. It's all the connective tissue in the gut. The arteries, the gums, it's connective tissue everywhere. Okay, so Denise, I'm assuming we're back to bone spurs. Why not scarring and calcium? No, you can do scarring and calcium. Why is buildup causing tendon and ligament to pop over? Oh, I see. The leg gives way on him. The lower part of his leg doesn't get the message. Whoops. Hesitation for a second after it pops for the leg to work again. That, I'd still go for torn and broken. Can't tell you. I guess I'd have to see it and put my hands on it. I'd try 124. And when the muscles or the ligaments are misaligned, the brain really does. If something is dislocating or loose, the brain really does say, yeah, no, you're not going to move this for a while. So there's that. Let me know how it turns out. This, okay, 75-year-old vertigo symptoms, whoops. She is asked to keep her head still and follow her therapist's fingers. Yes. Extremes of revision, yes, yes. She's taking Lyrica, Meclizine, and blood pressure medications. I'd send her to an FCOVD optometrist who will examine her for the need for prism glasses. Uh, the question, is it peripheral or central? Did she have a stroke that affects her vestibular system? So this is the 75-year-old with vertigo symptoms. And I'm assuming that as she moves her eyes left and right, that the eyes bounce a bit. Maintaining your focus on the fingers, it moves. Dizziness increases. So the other thing to check, anonymous, the other thing to check is what blood pressure medication she's on. So some blood pressure medications can cause these kind of difficulties. I always check anytime a patient's on medication because I was a drug rep and I had to memorize side effects. The challenge with the Internet is that they don't publish all of the side effects that have ever been seen 
with that medication. So I have a bunch of PDRs, the really thick actual books. I think there's actually one on the bookshelf behind me. Check for side effects. So there are some medications that can cause that as well. Bone spurs. Hi, Derek. Inflammation in the joint capsule, the periosteum, the tendon, connective tissue. But bone spurs are calcifications cause Wolf's Law, constant tension of a ligament or tendon attached to um, the periosteum will, the body will reinforce it with calcium. And that's where the bone spurs come from. They don't come from space. They come from tight muscles or ligaments pulling on bones. So I take the 91, the calcium frequency 606, and I don't remember the other one. And then 91 and 217. I wouldn't do anything with calcium receptors. Calcium receptors are everywhere, including your heart. So I don't think we have frequencies for calcium receptors. Diana, bacterial cellulitis, right legs. Yet don't treat inflammation. You can treat infection and probably immune support. And leave it alone until they're off the antibiotics. I guess you could use wound healing as long as you don't use the frequencies to reduce inflammation. And good luck. Yeah, cellulitis is difficult. Dangerous is a better word. Flat feet. Oh, yeah. Patients with flat feet directly cause ankle pain. Yep. Knee pain. Yep. So if you think about flat feet, if they've been flat-footed their whole life, that's easy because everybody's, their whole leg and spine is used to that. But as you get older, your feet tend to get flatter and that internally rotates your tibia. That puts pressure on your knee, internally rotates the femur because your foot is flat. And the first range of motion that you lose in your femur is internal rotation as the hip degenerates. The solution, as far as I'm concerned, is I don't use custom orthotics. I had somebody put me in an orthotic called Superfeet. And at one point, I had, well, I still have them in all of my shoes, except for one brand that has an arch support built into it. Um, but Superfeet, it's a plastic fabric coated orthotic that fits inside your shoes. They're in every running store. And that elevates the arch. And then you're going to have to treat, if you take somebody that's flat footed, put them in pronation control shoes and an arch support. Then the next week, you'll end up treating the muscles in the lower leg, the knee, and the hip and possibly the low back, because it goes all the way up the chain. Eventually, they'll get used to them. So I'd try that. Cool. All right. Am I missing anything? I think there's a couple in the chat. A couple in the... Oh, here we go. Oh. Yeah, Kevin does look lighter. If you use 7 and 81... 
This is from Facebook, not from me. Yeah. If you use increased secretions in the testicles, does it stimulate testosterone? No. We tried twice with David Zava doing the test. And it doesn't, we can increase, we increased estrogen when I was the patient or the victim, but David Zaba, I figured maybe he had just had too much caffeine. So I thought it was just because David was drinking too much coffee. And so I tried it on another patient who is, I think in his early seventies and couldn't, we did salivary hormone testing. We couldn't get, had, we had no effect on testosterone. We could increase my estrogen, so I felt horrible. But nope, that would be nice. And increasing testosterone is not always a good thing. So that's the other thing. You can't assume that sexual difficulties or energy difficulties are secondary to lowered testosterone or lowered cortisol. So I did a whole podcast webinar on fatigue, and maybe we'll do that at some point. But don't assume it's hormones, test the hormones. So blood work, salivary work, whatever is in your scope, whatever you can do, that's what I would check. Danielle, hi, Danielle. Disc protocols help restore disc height. I have an N of one, me. I had an L5-S1 disc that was thin and dark and a little bit bulgy, but definitely dried up, degenerated on an MRI. And five years later, I had low back pain from an SI joint problem. And we did a lumbar MRI. And that same disc that had been thin and flat and dark five years later was thick and white and fluffy. So. The potential is yes. So maybe, I guess it's maybe. The other thing I did besides that was exercises from the new folks at New Heights. How are we doing for the August master class in Hawaii? Derek is wanting to know. You guys know we're going to Hawaii, right? In August, we're doing a core seminar in Kona. You should come. And then the week after that, we're going to Derek. Nakamura's for a masterclass. And the masterclass is in the morning from nine-ish to one-ish. And then I'm going to two-step, which is about 15 minutes away by by car. It's the best snorkeling in Hawaii. And so that's the masterclass. And the masterclass is completely individualized. There's no script. There's every webinar and podcast I've ever done. And you get to ask questions and we can work on you or work on somebody or just do thought experiments, talk about how you would think about treating something. So that's, ooh, that's a good idea. Have Derek come on and talk about, can we get, oh, Derek says we're full with the rooms. So they're full at sleeping rooms, catering. Oh, too bad for the shelf. Whoops. Was told I had an accessory bone. Or a prescription for new balance alleviated the problem. 
Could accessory bones actually be bone spurs where the new balance prescription relieve whatever's causing an irritation? No, an accessory bone is actually an extra bone. And the only patients who have this accessory bone removed by an overenthusiastic podiatrist has been universally disastrous. So it's a good thing they left it by itself. It's a little accessory bone. It's usually a small extra bone that your body decided to make when you were an infant. And it changes the mechanics in the foot. So having a particular kind of shoe could relieve the problem. Yay. Alf, increasing secretion of the pituitary or pineal. I have absolutely no data. Zip, zero, none. I treat the pineal gland in the sleep protocol. And one time, I ran 81 and 102 at bedtime, and it was all I could do to stay awake. Like I passed out after running it for a few minutes, but that's an N of one, and I have no data. How many treatments for chronic Achilles tendonitis to resolve? I have no idea. It really depends. It really depends on. how long they've had it. So I'd still run torn and broken in the tendon. And with chronic Achilles tendonitis, you have to remember that you can also get sprouting of the nerves and sprouting of the blood supply to the tendon. So sometimes you have to treat scarring in the nerve and the blood vessels, 24 and 191 and 124 and 77 will usually take care of it. And I have no idea how many treatments, there's no way to tell somebody because there are just too many variables. One of the things you tell for the stable state is they put a pillow at the end of the bed. The only way I know this is because Kathleen Kasman told me when I had Achilles tendonitis, and that was a pillow at the end of the bed so that your feet are straight and not pointed. So your Achilles tendon is not shortened at night. You want to keep your feet at 90 degrees at night. And that was the stable state was that, but 124 and 191. At least that's what Kathleen used on me. Yeah, sorry. Have you heard of anyone using FSM in gardening applications? Actually, yes. One of the first case reports we had was one of the practitioners in Colorado, son did, son or daughter, did a, an experiment for for a science project was using FSM, the concussion protocol in water, and watering the plants with FSM water, and in the same room had plants that were watered with regular water, and the FSM plants grew more under the same conditions, and there was. One night when it got really cold, and you know that 6.8 and 38 is for chill, being chilled, and the FSM plants got over the frostbite, the chill, faster than the non-FSM plants. Isn't that cool? And so there we go. I've got some written questions. Frequencies for COVID vaccine injuries. Okay. So 
the frequencies for the respiratory flu that we came up with, it's in the um, webinar section of the, so you go to the website and it's the two flu respiratory protocols. There's six frequencies for all the flu viruses that are on the advanced laminate. And you combine those with the tissues that are misbehaving. So internal electric-like shocks, I treat the virus in the spinal cord, virus in the nerve, virus in the sensory motor cortex, itching, bleeding, hives on the scalp and face. Yuck. Uh, that means I would use the virus in the vagus because the vagus has the job of suppressing the immune response. And if the vagus is inactivated, let's say by the virus, the other thing you have to find out is which kind of vaccine the patient had because the Moderna and Pfizer have polyethylene glycol in it as the disinfectant and J&J didn't have polyethylene glycol. So I'm allergic to polyethylene glycol. So I, if I was, I did get vaccinated because I had to fly and the J&J doesn't have polyethylene glycol. Short version is you also have to use the frequencies for toxicity. So the six virus frequencies, the three toxicity frequencies, and think about the vagus, the spinal cord. So internal electrical shocks or what? It has to be the nerve, right? So spinal cord, the nerve, maybe the sensory cortex, the vagus for itching, bleeding, yuck, hives, also maybe the blood vessels. Okay. Scleroderma, we have a protocol for scleroderma is an autoimmune disease and find out what when their first flare-up is. So your immune system decides that your capillaries belong to somebody else. They get acutely inflamed in the hands and forearms especially, and then they fibrose. So then they scar. So something turns the vagus nerve off. So you run concussion in vagus. If they got scleroderma after they had COVID, then you'd run the virus frequencies along with the vagus and the capillaries. Does that make sense? That's my guess. You understand this is all a thought experiment. That's what I think the flexibility word is a good word for today. Oh, that's a good idea. All right. Okay, Bryce. The pod, books, podcasts, the concept of central sensitization still has me confounded a bit. Can this be conceptually dumbed down and then explained in clinical terms of how you know if a patient is in it or out of it? That's a really good question. So central... Oh, wait, back to Denise. This lady's had scleroderma for 12 years. The scleroderma protocol that we developed in England was to treat the capillaries and the connective tissue and the skin for scarring. I used the 58s and scar tissue and put the contacts. I think we went from the neck to the hands. And then you also have to treat concussion in vagus to turn the vagus on. But if you look into when she got 
scleroderma, all of the eight patients that we did the study on, it was immediately preceded by some sort of incredibly stressful or traumatic event. All right, back to Bryce. So central sensitization. So central is in the middle of your brain. It's the limbic system. Okay. So what sensitizes it? Let's go to whatever normal function is in the brain. Okay. And every cell, every part of your brain has input from every other part of the brain. And let's say in somebody that is raised in a happy, normal, if there is such a thing, pleasant, safe household, caring household, right? And then that person, to get the midbrain limbic system stress response to fire, it takes 100 yes votes. So all of the different parts of the brain are voting about whether or not I should run away from the tiger cell should fire. And you get all the votes in and you have a hundred yes votes before that I should run away from the tiger cell fires. If a patient is centrally sensitized, it only takes 50 votes. Yes votes. It takes less objective air quotes, objective stress to make the patient painful, frightened, upset, agitated, nervous, pick something. So how do you tell if somebody is centrally sensitized? Basic, I ask in the history, how tall are you? Have you ever had any surgeries? Have you ever had any car accidents? Have you ever been molested, abused, or raped? It's all in the same tone of voice, the same matter of fact. Now, if your name's Bryce, you're male, so you may be more or less comfortable, and the patient may be male or female. So how tall are you? Have you had any surgeries? Have you had any auto accidents? Any traumatic injuries? Have you ever been molested, abused, or raped? All the same sentence. So you can ask that as you are comfortable asking. If the patient has had a history of that kind of trauma, especially in early childhood, in general, they tend to be centrally sensitized just because the midbrain, the limbic system, has had so much trauma to deal with. And there's a pretty good chance that their pain or whatever's going on with them is more bothersome, right? So you have one person that comes in, pretty stoic about everything, right? Yeah, my little back hurts, whatever. And then there's another patient that comes in and just like, my low back hurts, the world is coming to an end, right? So that patient is probably centrally sensitized. One of the ways to find out is to run, is one of the ways to find out is to run 40 and 89 and see how they react. If their pain goes up, they're not sensitized. If they get all calm and floaty, they're sensitized. DNA, flexibility is the key to stability. Amen. Blessed are the flexible, for they will not be bent out of shape. And resilience is when you address uncertainty with flexibility. Boy, is that the truth. 
I'm going to see if I can keep those up on the screen so I can have those be the quote at the end of the day. Because it is the end, by the way. Is it four o'clock? Almost. How much? We got 10 minutes left. Jeez. Because every patient that comes in is going to have a different presentation. I'd love there to be a, yeah, you just do this for everybody. No, sorry. So, for example, somebody I saw yesterday, she had knee pain. When I felt her knee, her hamstrings and quadriceps were really tight. And then I felt upper legs and her patineus and her brevis were really tight. Her adductor brevis were really tight and tender. Hamstrings, quadriceps, low back. And then I asked her, remind me about your accident history? Oh, I got in a head-on collision two years ago. Drunk driver crossed the median and hit me doing about 30 miles an hour. Okay. Now, she didn't have an MRI. I was not originally treating her for nerve pain. We were mostly just going to talk. But then she said, before she left, she said, oh, yeah, by the way, my knees hurt. I said, lay down on the table. We've got a few minutes. And for her, the solution to her knee pain was related to her neck. It was 81 and 10, increased descending inhibition. And she said, how is it that my knee pain is coming from my neck? And it's, do you feel this muscle? Yeah. That shouldn't be that tight. Really? And then feel these muscles? Ow. That's where my knee hurts. Your knee hurts because your hamstrings are really tight, trying to pull your knee into flexion. And then your quadriceps have to work really hard to keep your legs straight. And that squishes your knee. And grinds on the cartilage of the meniscus. So that's why your knee hurts. So we're going to treat you from your neck to your feet. You're not going to treat my knee? I could, but there's no point. The knee is not the problem. The problem is the disc bulge that's in your neck. I have a disc bulge, and I said, you're going to have to come back because we already treated what you came in for, and then we treated your knee, and then we need an MRI of your neck to find out what's going on with that disc. So. That's the flexibility part of this. They all walk in with something different. And it's not always what you thought it was. If you will go to FrequencySpecific.com backslash webinars and look at the Vegas Nerve webinar, it'll be on there. And that has the best explanation of central sensitization that I think I've ever done because it talks about the response to stress in somebody that's centrally sensitized and what effect that has on the whole system. Ooh, post-polio. Oh, prolo, sorry. The question is, how soon after prolo therapy can I use 40? About six weeks. It would be really nice after prolo to run increased secretions in the fascia, increased secretions in the connective tissue, vitality in whatever tissue you want the prolo to positively affect. So increase or vitality in the cartilage, maybe. What? 
main issue is your sleep has been declining, but not because of the prologue, but before that. Grade one spondy, not a big deal. L5 rotates on S1. Somebody has to look at your psoas, ligamentous laxity and left sacrum, treating with FSM, 124 various tissues, 81 and 10. Highly active life with the ups and downs physically with my activity. Oh my goodness. Lack of sleep is problematic. And you're 72. Good luck. Oh, you can use concussion in Vegas after prolong. That's not a problem. The biggest challenge at 72 is your body doesn't see any reason that you should make melatonin. It just declines. So I take exogenous melatonin. FSM can't do anything, everything. It can do a lot of things, but it can't do everything. So take extra melatonin. And I change time zones twice a month, so I take drugs. But that's another conversation. Chronic inflammatory. No, it won't be a problem. Concussion in Vegas and sleep are just fine after prolo. And I would do just vitality in the tissue that you want to do. Do you have an aura ring on your thumb? No, he doesn't have an aura ring. It's just a regular ring. I have an aura ring. I wish. Singer. You should get one. I'll get you one for Christmas. Eventually, you will get it. I'll get him one for Christmas. It'll be fun. When is your birthday? Oh, he's okay. I'll have to look it up. I don't, I'm not getting any older. <laughs> no, my next one is 50. So is it I'm skipping that one? Oh, no, that's just when it gets fun. Uh, what is your approach to TMJ? It's really interesting. My approach to TMJ has been modified by one experience. And that's the only thing way I treat it now. I had been for years treating the joint, treating the muscle, treating all that stuff. Then I went to work in a dentist's office for the day because he was letting us use his amphitheater. He had a classroom set up in his clinic in Colorado, in Denver. And I was working on a TMJ patient where the pterygoids were so tight, they were popping every time she opened her mouth. They would click and pop. So the pterygoids attach to the disc, and it's supposed to pull the disc out of the way, but then it has to relax and let the disc slide back. It doesn't relax. And I did treated the muscle, treated the joint, treated the disc, nothing changed. And then I noticed these two thick white bands right at her canines. And I said to the dentist, who's on the panograph, I said, what are those thick white things? And he said, oh, that's where her headgear attached. Then I asked her, when did you start having TMJ? After my braces. Okay. Now, you know that when you have a partial thickness tear in the rotator cuff, you're going to get trigger points in all the muscles. There's one of the slides in the core that talks about that. Okay, so you have a partial thickness tear at least to trigger points. So what if you had a tendinopathy or a ligament injury here that 
caused the pterygoid tendons to be injured. So I ran 124 and 100 and 120, so torn and broken in the ligaments for the little tooth ligament, and 124 and 77 for the flat pterygoid tendon that attaches to that disc. And inside of 20 minutes, so we just put the contacts, one on each cheek. And as she treated, the popping stopped. And eventually, at about 45 minutes, the pain was gone. And every TMJ I've treated since then, that's all I do. Kim has a lot more complicated approach because she went and took a class that talked about how complex the TMJ joint is. There's adipose, there's blood supply, there's cartilage, there's all sorts of things back there. And you could treat scarring, you could treat inflammation, and it would be, I just treat torn and broken in the ligaments, and as soon as the pterygoids relax, things tend to settle down. So you can use either approach. It's in the course seminar under TMJ. That's why the course seminar is five days. It, there's so much in it. So if you have, all of you have taken the course seminar, go back and review it. We can, I don't know if we charge for the slides. I just make the stuff and then those guys do the marketing part. But go through and just thumb through the slides. There's 1,076 at this point. And just flip through the slides because even I don't remember all of them anymore. I highly recommend it. Alf, I'm glad you had a good time. Anybody else? Let's see. If I have any questions. Kevin printed up questions. Books, heart issues. We're at four o'clock. It is four o'clock. Oh, it's four oh one. Oh my gosh. Amazing how time flies. Wow. Wow. We have all these questions we can do next time. I'm glad you had a good time. It was really good seeing you guys. Okay, what was the blessed or the flexible for they will not be bent out of shape? Resilience is when you address uncertainty with flexibility. I like that. And the willow bends in the storm and it survives. Well, here is to flexibility. Enjoy. And I hope you have a great week. And are we going to be here next week? Yeah. Next week, yes. Next week we'll be we're here. We're going to be in Denver the 1920, 21, 21st through the 20 something, 26th, 27th. Yeah. It'll be fun. It'll be good. You guys have a great week. Kim will be back next week and we will go and play. I hope you have a great time. Take good care and love what you do. Change the world. Bye. The Frequency Specific Microcurrent Podcast has been produced by Frequency Specific Seminars for entertainment, educational, and information purposes only. The information and opinion provided in the podcast are not medical advice, do not create any type of doctor-patient relationship, and unless expressly stated, do not reflect the opinions of its affiliates, subsidiaries, or sponsors, or the hosts, or any of the podcast guests or affiliated professional organizations. No person should act or refrain from acting on the basis of the content provided in any podcast without first seeking appropriate medical advice and counseling. No information provided in any podcast should be used as a substitute for personalized medical advice and counseling. FSS expressly disclaims any and all liability relating to any actions taken or not taken based on or any contents of this podcast.